all the power that Jesus the man had. And now you have access to it when you pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And last week, man, I, I still am chewing on, on, on that, and I've studied it out for months, that we discovered that when you pray in the name of Jesus, it gets God's special attention because Jesus' special attention is given to it. And he takes responsibility for your prayer and takes that before the Father and, and takes your place. And then we take Jesus' place here on the earth of walking those things out because he's not here anymore. And we said last week, we read a quote from E.W. Kenyon, and I'm going to paraphrase it today, um, that when you pray in the name of Jesus, he's basically giving you a blank check that he has signed. Now, that doesn't mean you can go off and do something stupid and just believe for stupid things and pray for stupid things. and <laughs> That's not what it means. But it means that when you pray... According to what God's will is, when you pray in the name of Jesus, it's a guarantee that it's going to happen. But most people don't believe it. They kind of hope. They pray in the name of Jesus, and it's like they're rolling the dice, hoping that they did it right. And we have to get to a point where we're believing that the name of Jesus is unlocking all the power, come on, of heaven. <laughs> and it's for us today. Amen. If you want to go back and listen to those other four Parts of the series, you can do that on the YouTube channel or the Roku channel. Uh, all those are archived on there for you, and you can watch right there um, with, uh, for those. You can recap. It doesn't cost you anything. Okay? Uh, today, <clears throat> we're going to talk about how did Jesus' name become so great? How did it become so great? Now, a lot of people think, well, I mean, he's the Son of God. I mean, it would, I mean, wouldn't that just stand to reason that his name would be great? Well, if that's the case, and his, I mean, it was just that way, that really would not be fair. Because when he created the heavens and the earth, he created all of creation to operate in a set of, you know, there's a set of rules, and there's a set of honor. And God actually governs bound by his own integrity if he says it's got to be this way even though he's capable i had a long conversation with a with a 14 year old one time when i was a youth pastor when i said god just can't do whatever he wants that just boggled her mind she came up loaded for bear for me she was ready to just really tell me you don't know what you're talking about and I said, I said, I'm not saying God's not able to do whatever he wants. He is. If he wanted to, guess what? We'd all be just a big greasy spot in the universe somewhere. Like a mosquito, come on, hitting the window at 70 miles an hour. If that's what he wanted, there would be nothing. There would be no evidence that anything ever existed if that's what he wanted. So he is able and capable to do whatever he wants. But why doesn't he? Because he is the one who set the rules in motion for creation to operate. And so now he's bound by his own integrity. And you ought to be shouting about that, that God is bound by his own integrity. And he said, this is how creation's going to work. This is how redemption's going to work. And he couldn't just... Put Jesus here 
as you know, in, in the form of a, bo- in, in a human, and didn't just say, well, you're my son, you have all my power. Just go ahead and supersede all the rules. Do whatever you want. The rules don't apply to you. If he would have done that, that would not be fair. And so Jesus came and actually operated inside the same rules that me and you operate in. Now this ought to, this ought to get your attention. Because when you start looking at what Jesus did on the earth, that's an example of how we should... Oh, 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 this is going to bother you. Uh, that's an example of how we should be living our lives. Which means what? Well, Jesus said it. He said, greater works than these will they do because I go to the Father. What does that mean? That means us as the church. Now, I don't believe there's one person that's going to do greater works than Jesus. But collectively, as all believers, come on, if we will take that mantle of what Jesus did here on the earth. Somebody please get with me on this. If we'll take that mantle and say, if Jesus did it, come on, we can do it. Then that's when we do the greater works. Why? Because there'd be billions of us doing it. Come on. And we'd outnumber Jesus <laughs> by a lot. All right? And so in that, in that Jesus, in the creation, Jesus was put here to function inside of the rules of creation. All right? And in order for his name to be great, he had to come and function inside the rules in this system of creation and do it perfectly so that his name would be great. Let's go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have them this morning, to Hebrews chapter 1. If you're following along, it's there in your sheet. All right? Jesus couldn't just supersede the system. He had to follow along. I mean, if, that's, if he could just supersede the system, then why was he tempted by the devil? Y'all know that story, right, when he went out into the wilderness? If he was able to just supersede the system, he wouldn't have had to be tempted. And temptation would mean nothing to him. Come on, somebody. He wouldn't have been able to be tempted. He was able to go out into the wilderness and face a temptation. Why? Because he's operating inside the same rules me and you are operating in. All right? And he couldn't just change things. Uh, Even though he was greater in power and in might than anything he created, uh, he he had to operate the same way we do. He had to put himself inside creation and use the same rules in order to become greater. So as we're, we're turning over to Hebrews, let's ask this question this morning. How do people get great names? And, and there's probably a whole lot of reasons, but I want to talk about three, and we're just going to talk about one today. But how do you get a great name? Well, I mean, you can tell people your name's great, but that doesn't mean anything, does it? I mean, you can walk around and just tell somebody, I, I mean, I'm, I'm faithful. 
And I'll just be honest with you, in 26 years of being in ministry, when people come and tell me, you know, I love the church and I'm just so sold out and I'm faithful to you, Pastor, I start going. Because people can say whatever they want to say. <laughs> so <laughs> saying your name's great doesn't mean anything. People get great names by accomplishing something or doing something. They get great names sometimes by their heritage or what was left to them. You know, you, you talk about names that are powerful here in the United States. I mean, you say the name Kennedy and people know what that is. Doesn't matter which one it is either. You could talk about the lesser known Kennedys and people know, oh, you're a Kennedy. You've got money, you've got power, you've got connections. Can we be friends? Seriously. Their heritage and their inheritance makes their name great. I'm not bragging. I'm, I'm going to brag on my family, but I'm not bragging about me. But if you go to this little old dinky town in northeastern Kentucky and you say you're a Bailey, people know who you are. I, I can go home. My grandfather and his brother built 75% of the homes in our little town. Now, I say little. It's 10,000 people. 75% of the homes. I can drive down streets after street after street and say my grandfather built this entire side his brother built that side my grandfather built this entire section this whole i can drive down the main road commercial buildings grocery store. my grandfather built that one we built that one we built that one i can do that there i can walk into the bank and tell them i'm howard bailey's grandson and they will immediately see me it's a part of my inheritance that's part of who I am. My dad was the same way. My dad built, built um, businesses. The first uh, walk-in clinic, my dad built it. The first retirement community, my dad built it. People know our name by inheritance. All right? That's another way you get a, good, a great name. Another way that people get a great name is by it being given to them. How many of you have ever seen somebody come kneel before the queen of england and she says i knight you sir paul mccartney or <laughs> now paul mccartney did some pretty amazing stuff so he had a great name going into it but now it's been given to him there are people that are been given names by royalty we've never heard of but it because the queen said now they have a great name all right and really when you look at the name of Jesus, Jesus actually had all three of these things happen. And so today we're going to talk about one of them, and that was that it was given to him, just like kneeling before the queen. Or, you know, there are different places here in the States you can kind of, uh, I know in Texas they have something that's the highest civilian award you can win in Texas. It's called an honorary Texan. Yeah, I know. Te Texas is arrogant, I know. Yeah. The highest award we can give you is you are an honorary Texan. <laughs> and I've seen people frame it and put it on their wall. Uh, in Kentucky, we have something called the Kentucky Colonel. 
If you're a Kentucky colonel, that is the highest thing. I remember when I got, somebody gave me one, gave me a Kentucky colonel. I cried. I was so, I was so moved. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a colonel. I have it framed in my office right now. There are other places, states have those things, you know. Uh, there are awards that the president can give you that gives your, makes your name great. Just to civilians, all right? That's what we're talking about today. The name of Jesus became great because it was given to him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. You need to underline that. That's important. Spoke to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my Son. Now this is important right here, I want you to underline this, today. I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now that is a little bit confusing because if he came to earth, why is he saying that afterwards? We're going to get to that. All right. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. In this scripture, we, this, is, this is a lot of scripture this morning, but we can see here that he was given a name that was more excellent than even the angels. It was a more powerful name. It was a more majestic name. It was a name that made things stop and change. All right? So why? Why was he given a more excellent name. I mean, when he showed up here and Mary named him Jesus, at that stage, most people think, you know, every Catholic painting they ever saw in their life, like he had a halo and he actually came out of the womb and sat up and smiled for whoever was painting the picture. And like he came out of the womb knowing who he was and he came out of the womb just like baby genius. When Jesus first showed up here, his name really was no different than Joe. Now, this is bothering people already. They're like, how dare you say that? Look at, looking back at these scriptures, we say it was given to him, and it actually became more excellent on a day, specifically. All right? So why was he given a more excellent name to, uh, than the angels? Well, first of all, he is the son, and a son is heir to everything. Uh, one day, I'm going to inherit everything my grandfather, 
and my dad left my dad and whatever my dad left leaves us leaves me i'll inherit all of it and i used to hate being an only child when i was a kid because it was lonely didn't have nobody to beat up on or play with i had to beg for cousins to come over but i'll tell you what right now at 48 years old on wednesday i'll be 48 this wednesday i'm so grateful i don't have to compete with nobody <laughs> when my parents do go home to glory i don't have to fight with anybody I just, thank you. That's selfish, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, that's, what, that's what kids are. They're an heir to whatever their parents have. Meaning that's what's going, whatever they, and the Bible tells us that that's biblical. It says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. It's something that Jesus earned by being the son, all right? He was given a more excellent name from God because he was the son. But then also reading this, we can see that he is also the express character, as our, our, our scripture shows. He's the express character, or the King James actually says image. He is the image of who God is. When you look at Jesus, that, when we have those images of that's, that's God, that's right, that's God. All right? He is the expressed image of God. Now, what does expressed mean? How many of you know you have things going through your mind right now that nobody else knows about? You ever been sitting in traffic, get mad at somebody? <laughs> never happens here never there are things going through your mind right now or in the traffic moment that nobody else necessarily knows about it's in there though right it has crossed your mind <laughs> listen to me now there are things that God has thought about us. And they were in his mind. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, come on, he started thinking things about you and me. Well, I wasn't even born then. He was still thinking about you. Come on now. And so what was it he was thinking? Some people go, well... Uh, I was supposed to marry so-and-so, or I was great to be this, or I was born and made to be that. That's all true, but here's the one thing we all know that he was thinking about us. He expressed it with the life and ministry of Jesus. So when you look at Jesus, don't just look at Jesus as, you know, a religious figure. Look at him as actually God speaking to you, because everything Jesus did, he did it he did it for you. Everything he was, he was for you. Every miracle he did, he did for you. And somebody go, well, that doesn't benefit me when Lazarus came walking out of the grave. Yes, it does, because it's an example of how you're mm, supposed to operate in this world.
He is the expressed character or image of God. He is God speaking to you. In that who he is, we see that more excellent name that God gave him. Now here's the question I want to ask you. When did God give them that name? Because we know that Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby and you're supposed to call his name Jesus. So is it that point that the, more, that the, the name is more excellent? No. Listen, y'all know, we, we don't usually, we don't really use that name in the English. You know, you don't, you don't, you know, find uh, English-speaking people and, and their name's Jesus. But you go into the Hispanic culture, and Jesus is everywhere. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of those Jesuses are walking on water? How many of those Jesuses, come on, are commanding demons to come out of people? How many of those Jesuses, come on, are dying on a cross for their sin? The name in and of itself was nothing when he was born. It was just a name. Why is that name suddenly now more excellent? When does it, when does it become more excellent? Was it in heaven before he got here? Is it on earth when he came? And the answer to both of those is no. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Look at what happened here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now that right there, everybody goes, yeah, there it is. He was, he was excellent then. Let's read on. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. Now, that's the New Living Translation. The New King James Version says he stripped himself of all power. Stripped himself of his godliness. All right? Let's go, let's go on over to Hebrews chapter 1 and look in verse 4 again. This shows that the Son of God is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than, them, their, their, than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son. Now, why would he say that to Jesus? Do you think Jesus already knew that? I mean, if, okay, now, I've talked to many people. My parents own a retirement community. I've been around people in memory care and things like that. And it's a sad thing when kids walk into the room and their parents don't recognize them. I've been around people like that. My great-grandmother was that way. My grandfather, before he passed away, was, it'd take him a second. He had to hear your voice. Once he heard your voice, he could remember who you were. But if he just, he'd look at you, it, it'd take him a minute. And that's a heartbreaking thing. This is not what's going on here. It's not like God forgot who Jesus was. But yet he's saying to him, today I have become your father. The King James actually reads, today I have begotten thee. Now that word begotten is familiar, isn't it? John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
Now, where was he begotten? That's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. When was he begotten? Well, he says, today I have become your father. Not because he forgot who he was, but something happened on a specific day. It wasn't when he came to earth. It wasn't when he was in heaven. Jesus' name became great on the day God begot him. Now, some people are already confused. I'm, I'm confused. How? What, what do you mean? On the day that he was begotten. All right? Let's just set it up here. He pre-existed creation. Was he begotten then? No, he was pre-existed. All right? John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is me and Luke's favorite scripture. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now at that stage, he was already existing, and he did not need to be begotten or born, but yet He's begotten sometime because that scripture we read in Hebrews says that. Today I have begotten you. So how can you be begotten on one day but in a, in a, in a state before you didn't need to be begotten? <sighs> Pastor, you're making my head hurt. Trust me, it's going to make sense in a minute. How many of you are sitting here right now? How many of you were begotten? You better be or you're dead. We're going to bury you in the ground. It does make sense. Just give me a second. You're sitting here right now, aren't you? That means you were begotten, right? All right. When Jesus was begotten, all right, it happened... Just turn over to Acts, Acts chapter 13. It happened on a certain day. We're getting there. Acts chapter 13, verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that, <laughs> in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Now here's the here it is. Jesus' name became the greater name the day God raised him from the dead. What happened on that day? Now listen to me, or you're gonna you're gonna get confused. He was begotten physically, but on that day he was begotten again or born, come on, again. The light is coming on. The light. He was born again. Why? Because God raised him from the dead. He was begotten of the Father the day that we celebrate as Easter. That was the day he was begotten and his name became greater. Up to that point, it was just a name. I mean, people would say it. Aren't you just the carpenter's son? And they would even call him by name. Aren't you just Jesus? 
Aren't you the kid that we grew up with that we forgot in Jerusalem that time? The Bible says he was really not that big of a deal. They said that when they looked at him, he was just kind of, we all have this romanticized, really handsome Jim Caviezel, Jesus of Nazareth, blue eyes, perfect British accent, sounded so good. He was a little bit muscular. The Bible doesn't say, the Bible says he was kind of homely, just kind of normal. Now, this is ruining your all's images, I'm sure. Right now, everybody's mad at me. How dare you talk about my Jesus that way? I mean, my Jesus was muscular and sounded so good when he talked and was so handsome, and I loved him on that show that he used to be on where he... He was really kind of normal. Nothing outstanding about him until this day. Come on, somebody. This day things changed. Why? Because he had passed every test. He had lived a sinless life. He was unjustly killed. And, and he, as, as he's in hell for us, come on, he, he's there. And when God raises him, Back to the living. <laughs> he makes that, now his name means something. Because he created, or excuse me, he defeated everything that came against him. All right? Now you say, great, why is that important for us? Why did that make his name more excellent? Well, here's why. He actually, when he died, he tasted death for all of us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. Now, we read earlier, his name was higher than the angels. Now, for a while, he was given a position lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for, come on somebody, us, he is now. Catch this. Because he suffered death for us, he is now, you see that? He is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Now, you'd read that, and if you didn't know any better, you'd think, well, does that mean I'm supposed to, like, live here forever? Like, I'm never going to die? That's not what this means. The word, if it is, well, we have people that really don't understand what belongs to them if that's the case. But it's not the case. When it says Jesus tasted death for everyone, in the Bible, there are several different types of death. And there's at least three. One is physical death, which everybody experiences. There's spiritual death. And there is eternal death. Now, some people never, probably never heard these terms before, so let's talk about spiritual death for a second. That's a big deal. Because this is the one that really sets us apart. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. How many of you remember those days? 
Nobody? Okay. <laughs> I remember it well. I remember the days of disobedience and sin. I remember it. Man alive. Now, I would love to be able to sit here and say, I don't sin ever. But then I'd be lying and that would be a sin. And I just see how that works. But I'm talking about the days when I was really didn't care about my relationship with God, had no connection, no fellowship, no nothing. I had nothing between me and him. I remember those days. I did whatever I wanted to do. But how many of you know, just because I was dead, because of that spiritually, I still existed. Remember those days when you used to do whatever you wanted to do, whenever you wanted to do, however you wanted to do, and who with whoever you wanted to do it with? And nobody was going to tell you any different? Not God or the Bible or your grandma or nobody. But you still here. You were still breathing. You were still taking up space. Okay? Spiritual death is simply separation from God. And if you remember Jesus hanging on the cross, what were the words he used? My God, my God, why has you, have you forsaken me? What does that mean? He, for the first time, is now separated from God. And you go, well, I mean, he's here on the earth. Wasn't he separated? Physically, he was separated. But yes, now he is spiritually separated. And that got his attention faster than anything. He had been beat. He had been whipped. And all he was saying was what the condition of the people. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Then suddenly, God pulls his presence away from him. And what does Jesus, Jesus stops talking about the people and starts talking about himself. Why? Because now he's dying spiritually. Why are you forsaking me? Why am I being separated from you? All right? Now here's the thing, and this is why it's important, and this is why his name's so excellent. At that stage, Jesus doesn't become a sinner. Jesus becomes sin. Now here's the thing I want you to catch. This is important. At that stage, Jesus takes on your entire spiritual condition now you need to catch that because that's a big statement but everything you were every habit you had come on everything you ever did wrong every person you ever cussed out come on Every wrong decision you made. Come on. Jesus took on that condition. Doesn't mean he did it. Listen to me now. He took on the condition that comes from those decisions. That kind of went over some of your heads. All right, listen. If you go and tell somebody off, and they are now offended, and they separate from you, and they never want to have anything to do with you again. And now you live your life in regret for ever having done that. Now listen to me. That condition that came from your sin, that's what he took on. 
So all the stuff you did wrong that comes with consequences, come on, he took on the consequences. See, people walk around and say, yeah, but you don't know what I used to do. I deserve this. This is what I deserve in my life. No, you don't, because Jesus took those consequences on himself. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I, I really was bad. I mean, I was really in a bad place. I mean, I really did bad things. I mean, you don't understand, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. He took on the consequences, the condition that you were living your life as and that means that when you accept him as Lord and Savior of your life, listen to me now, you're going through the same steps he went through. You're died, you were dead spiritually. Come on, you were raised again. You're born again. And you don't have conditions because you don't have a past anymore. Why? Because when he died, he erased the past for all those who would accept accept him <laughs> Acts chapter 2 we're going to wrap it up here verse 25 for David this is several verses so just read along with me for David says concerning him I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 31. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Now, you're there in Acts chapter 13, uh, uh, 2. Go over to 13. We already read this one, but I'm going to read it again. Verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, and as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We may not know in either one of these scriptures what happened when he was in hell. We may not know everything. There's a lot of people that can guess and surmise. We don't know everything that happened when he was there. But we do know one thing. His spirit left his body. He died. Okay? And when he did that, he took care of spiritual death or me and you being separated from God. And you cannot understand the authority that you have in this more excellent name until you understand that Jesus was separated from the Father just like anyone without him is now. 
And when he was separated, he paid your debt. He erased the consequences. This is why people who have, who have abused their body can get saved and, and expect God to heal them. This is why people that have abused their body sexually and have AIDS and every kind of thing else can get saved. Not, not, it's not a free ticket, oh, I'm just going to flippantly do this. No, when they get saved and they make Jesus Lord of their life, they're actually putting themselves under the name that's more excellent than AIDS, come on, or any other sexual disease. They're putting their, themselves under the name that's more excellent than alcohol and drug addiction. People go, well... I mean, that doesn't mean that there's not consequences here on the earth. Sure, you may have to answer to some people for some things that you've done. But the more important thing is, spiritually speaking, there is a future, come on, and a hope for you that you didn't have before. And I can expect God to do something in my life because I'm submitting myself to a name that's more excellent that was given to him on the day that he rose from the grave. He was begotten. On that day, his name was given its excellence because that's the day he was begotten. That's the day that Jesus was born again. He came up out of the grave more excellent. He came out different than when he went down. He went down in your condition with your baggage, with your drama. And he came back up with a name that had conquered that, a name that erased that, and a name that will change that. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And we're going to continue talking.